As we journey through the Gospel of John, we have come to chapter 11. This is the chapter in which Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We got introduced to Lazarus and his family last week, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And we found, off, we found out right off the bat that there's a special relationship between Jesus and this family. And in fact, John tells us in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So they know Jesus and love Jesus. Jesus knows them and loves them. There's a special relationship. They are family friends. That makes it all the more striking that when Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, he delays where he was for two days. He doesn't come running and he doesn't heal Lazarus. Instead, he delays. There's a deliberate delay. And then we heard last week Jesus tell his disciples, Lazarus is dead. But I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. When Jesus arrives at Bethany, finally, when he finally gets there, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. Four days. By all appearances, it sure seems like Jesus is late. You know, a day late and dollar short, it seems like Jesus is four days late. When Martha hears that Jesus is coming, that he's on the way, she goes out to meet him. And this, this, this powerful impactful conversation ensues between Jesus and Martha. That's our focus this morning. Next time, Lord willing, we'll actually get Lazarus raised. <laughs> we'll get him out of the tomb finally, and we'll finish up this chapter as we keep going. But this morning, let's focus in on this interchange between Jesus and Martha. So we're in John chapter 11, and we begin with verse 20. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. If you have your bulletin, there's that listening guide on the back panel. Let's, uh, let's consider this powerful conversation between Jesus and Martha. Again, Mary and Martha are in mourning. We'll talk more about what that entails next week. But Mary and Martha are in mourning. Jesus shows up. And the first thing Martha says to, her, says to him, as far as we know in the text, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, some scholars take this to be a, 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 an implied rebuke, an indirect rebuke, a polite complaint. We're kind of in the same situation we were last week with Thomas. We have Thomas's words, but not his tone. When Thomas said, well, I guess we'll go to Jerusalem with him. We might as well all die. You know, we'll all die with him in Jerusalem. We have his words, but not his tone. Exactly what was he saying there? What was the attitude behind it? Well, we kind of have that with Martha. We have her words, but not necessarily her tone. Some scholars hear in her tone, you know, they detect here a complaint, a polite complaint, almost blame. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, it's kind of sort of your fault. He's dead. Where have you been? Where were you? Why didn't you come? That's kind of the, the subtext. You know, that's, that's, that's the implied subtext that she is, that she's hurting and she's, she's frustrated and she's disappointed. Why didn't you show up? 
Where have you been? Why are you so late? Mary will use the same words later on in this chapter. When she gets to talk to Jesus, she'll say the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now we can only imagine that during those days when Lazarus was sick and dying, we can just imagine that, that Mary and Martha, I mean, they're on pins and needles just looking for Jesus. They, they're, they're hoping and praying Jesus will get here soon. He'll be here any minute. As soon as he gets here, he'll be okay. He can heal Lazarus. Where's Jesus? Oh, surely he'll get here. Surely he's, he's got to be on his way. He, he's, he'll get here any minute. I mean, you, can just, you just know they were on pins and needles anticipating the Lord's arrival at any moment. And then, of course, Lazarus dies. And for the last four days, we can only imagine that for the last four days, this has been the common refrain in the household. If only Jesus had gone here in time. If only Jesus had been here, Lazarus would not have died. If only Jesus had made it in time. You know that's what they've been saying for four days. And so when Jesus shows up, this is what comes out of their mouths. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if that is the subtext, if this is that polite complaint, it's worth noting that Jesus does not respond in kind. He doesn't rebuke her in return. There's no retort per se. He just, he just goes on with the conversation. And if this is, I mean, if that is the tone and tenor, if that is the, the gist of the remark, it's your fault he's dead, then we can take from this the implication you can be honest with God. And we've, we've learned that from other texts and in other settings. You can be honest with God. And uh, you know, you, you're not going to surprise God. He already knows who you are, where you are, what you're going through, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And you can be honest with him. You can tell him how you feel and what you're thinking. Now, don't get too big for your britches. Remember who you're talking to. Don't get disrespectful or irreverent. But you can be honest with the Lord. Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm mad at you, but I don't want to be mad at you. And Lord, it seems like you're a million miles away, and I don't want to be a million miles away from you. And, and you can be honest with the Lord. If that's, if that's what's going on here, well, there, there's an implication for us. But I agree with the majority of scholars that I read that, that this isn't necessarily a complaint or a rebuke, but rather it is a confession of faith. It's an expression of confidence in the midst of pain and grief. That even while she's hurting, she believes. And she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Martha is hurting. She is in mourning. Her brother has died. And she knows and she believes that had Jesus shown up, he could have healed him. He would have healed him. She has no doubt. But that's not how it played out. That's not how it went. And that's not where we are. And here we are. Lazarus is four days dead. Hope is gone. He's four days dead. He's buried. And here we are. But she still believes. And so I, 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 I kind of agree with those, those scholars who would say, the, the statement here, the gist of this statement is, I still believe. Even though things didn't go the way I wanted it to, I still believe. Gary Burge paraphrases Martha this way. If you had been here, you could have healed Lazarus. Nevertheless, I still believe in you that God works through you mightily. And if that's the case, then the implication for you and me as Christ followers is really straightforward. There are going to be times in our lives... When God doesn't do what we wish he would do. <laughs> Haven't you ever been there? Absolutely. We have begged and prayed and prayed and begged and pleaded that God would do this or that or the other to show up, fix this problem, heal this issue. I mean, we, we've all done that. We've begged and pleaded that God would do X, Y, and Z. And lo and behold, when it's all said and done, God doesn't do X, Y, and Z. 
and you can be left frustrated and disappointed or even disillusioned, the question is, will you still believe? Lord, I believe anyway. I will trust you even if you don't do what I'm asking you to do. I will love you no matter what. I will love you. I will trust you. I will obey you. I will serve you even if you don't do what I, I'm asking you to do. There's the implication. So I hear a continued confidence in the Lord. And that leads us to an ambiguous promise. In verse, in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now we've already seen in John, John likes double entendre, double meanings, where, where something can be true on, on more than one level. <laughs> and that's what we have here. D.A. Carson called this a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. A masterpiece of planned ambiguity. Your brother will rise again. Now, we cheated. We read the rest of the chapter. We know what's coming. And so we can kind of see that double entendre right off the bat. On the one hand, when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, we know that Lazarus will rise on the last day. At the end of human history, there's going to be a resurrection. And Lazarus will be raised again on that day. Your brother will rise on the last day. But we also know, having cheated and read the rest of the chapter, we know that Jesus is also saying, your brother will rise this day, this very day. Within a few hours, if not a few minutes, within a few verses, Lazarus will rise. Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. So there's that kind of a double meaning, isn't it? It's a double entendre. Both of those statements are true. And that brings us to an abstract comfort in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Again, one of those Johannine misunderstandings where Jesus says something to someone and they just don't quite get it. They misunderstand. And Martha, Martha just goes straight to that first meaning. I know he'll rise again on the resurrection at the end of human history, at the end of time on the last day. Oh yeah, I believe that there'll be that resurrection on that last day. But it's an abstract comfort. Now, Martha just believes what most Jews believed in the first century, and that is that at the end of human history, there would be a physical resurrection at, at the end of human history. Now, not all Jews believed that. There were some who did not. For example, the Sadducees. You've heard of them. Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees were, were part of the Jewish leadership, um, a sect of the Jewish leadership, but they did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels, didn't believe in spirits, didn't believe in miracles, really anything supernatural, and they did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> That's why they're sad. Paul, <laughs> Paul exploited, uh, exploited that disagreement in Acts 23. He's on trial before the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council. The Sanhedrin was comprised of, of Pharisees who believed in the resurrection and Sadducees who denied the resurrection, and so Paul just kind of throws that hand grenade right into the whole trial and says, oh, hey, guys, I, I'm here. I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> and the Pharisees said, hey, he's one of us. And the Sadducees, yeah, that's right. And so here we go. And chaos ensued. So Paul exploded that. Well, Martha here, she believes, again, what most Jews believed at the time, that there will be a resurrection at the end of history. But that is a far off hope. That, it's almost abstract. It's, it's so far in the future that it's almost little or no comfort today. It's, it's almost theoretical. It's an abstract comfort. I love what Edward Clink said. He said, by these words, 
Martha is finding solace in the promise of God that he will right all things in the end. Jesus is not offering solace in the final resurrection, but in his person. Not offering solace, comfort, and in the promise of a final resurrection, but in his person. And that leads us to a personal faith. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So here's our fifth I am statement. Again, a characteristic of the gospel of John. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. In John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, I am the door of the sheep. And now I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 6, Jesus didn't just feed the multitudes with bread. He said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he doesn't just shed light on the world. I am the light of the world. And now Jesus doesn't just offer life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. He is the life. He doesn't just raise people from the dead. He is the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Now let's break this down. I am the resurrection. This is not the first time Jesus has talked about resurrection. In fact, hang on to John chapter 11, and let's go back and remember a little bit. Go back to chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father raises the dead, there's your resurrection, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. And verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's, that's a physical bodily resurrection. Move down in verse, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6 and verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and then I myself will raise him up on the last day. And verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's that resurrection. I am the resurrection. I will raise him up on the last day. When a believer dies, when a Christ follower, a Christian, someone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, when a believer dies, his soul and spirit go to be with the Lord while the body remains. What makes you, you, the essence of who you are, your, your personhood, you go to be with the Lord while your body remains. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, being of all always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. I say and prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Did you get that? While you're physically alive, your body, your, your, your soul and spirit are with the body, but you're absent from the Lord. You're not with the Lord. But when you die physically, the body without the spirit is dead and your soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. You're absent from the body now and present with the Lord. Your soul and spirit are with the Lord. Paul explains it this way in Philippians 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How could anyone say that death is a good thing? How, how is death gain? 
He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. So for me to live in the flesh, that just means serving the Lord. But for me to die means to go be with the Lord. So when a believer dies, his soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord. The body remains, and the body does what the body does. The dust returns to the dust. We can bury it, we can cremate it, whatever it is, but given enough time, the body is going, the dust is going to return to the dust from which it was taken. But one day, there's going to be a resurrection. God will raise the dead. Jesus Christ, He is the resurrection. He will raise the dead. There'll be a resurrection of the righteous. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15 at length. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's that resurrection. The dead in Christ will rise, that physical resurrection. But there's not only a resurrection of the righteous, the dead in Christ will rise first, which shall all be changed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. That's 1 Corinthians 15. There'll also be a resurrection of the unrighteous. We just read about that in, back in chapter 5. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. All of them, not just Lazarus, not just the righteous. All will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who did evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. He is the resurrection. And then he said, I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the life. This is another theme that we've seen all through John. It started in the, in the fourth verse of the first chapter. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In John chapter 3, verse 16, the verse we all know and love, learn as little kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting, what? Life. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He is the life. We heard that in John, John chapter 5 as well. John chapter 6 again. He is the life. This is the life that God has, and it's the life that God gives. Life. And it's a whole new quality of life. It's an abundant life. It is partaking of the divine nature. It's a renewed life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have become, all things have become new. It is a renewed life, a whole new life, a quality of life in Jesus Christ. Or as Paul will say in Colossians 3, Christ who is our life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. He's the very definition of life. He is the source of life. He is our life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now notice, he, I, he said, uh, I am the resurrection in verse, in verse 20. Uh, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The key to possessing that life, the key to participating in that resurrection is faith in Jesus Christ. A personal faith in Jesus. That is the key. Everyone who believes and everyone who lives and believes in the language of the New Testament, those are present active participles, and it speaks of ongoing action, ongoing believing, ongoing living. Whoever believes, and you know believe is to faith. Whoever faiths and keeps on faithing. Whoever lives and keeps on living in me. What does it mean to live in him? It means to abide in him. Well, here, we're going to get a belly full of that in chapter 15. 
You abide in Christ. You follow Christ. You love Christ. You walk with Christ. You live in Christ. You know Christ, as we've talked about before. Whoever believes in me, whoever lives in me, he says in verse 25, he will live even if he dies. There's that physical resurrection. Even if he dies, he will be raised again. There's that resurrection. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. There's that spiritual life, eternal life. Even though your body dies, and short of the Lord's return, the day will come, your body will die. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, judgment. So even when your body dies, you don't die, you will live. In fact, it's a double negative. It's emphatic. He won't never die. (laughs) He will never, ever die. He will absolutely never die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's eternal life. Because I'm the resurrection and the life. And the key to participating in that resurrection, the key to possessing that eternal life, is faith in Jesus Christ. I love what Warren Wiersbe did with this text. He said this, that Jesus took the doctrine of the resurrection out of a book and put it into a person himself. I am the resurrection and the life. While we thank God for what the Bible teaches and all that Martha had was the Old Testament, we realize that we are saved by the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, not by a doctrine written in a book. When we know him by faith, we need not fear the shadow of death. When you are sick, you want a doctor, not a medical book or a formula. When you're being sued, you want a lawyer, not a law book. Likewise, when you face your last enemy, death, you want the Savior, not a, not a doctrine written in a book. In Jesus Christ, every doctrine is made personal. When you belong to him, all that you, will, you have all that you will ever need in life and death and time or eternity. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, he that lives and believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that brings us to a pointed challenge. We have a a pointed challenge in verse 26. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? That's a pointed question, isn't it? Now it gets personal. Let's just get down to it. Martha, do you believe this? Now Jesus is not asking Martha, Martha, do you believe I can raise Lazarus from the dead? That's not even part of the conversation yet. That's not even on her radar. In fact, later on when Jesus says, let's open up the tomb. Oh, Lord, you don't want to do that. He's going to stink by now. It's been four days. He's going to smell. It's going to smell. She's not asking. He's not asking her, do you believe I can raise Lazarus from the dead? He's asking her, do you believe what I'm talking about? Do you believe what I'm saying about myself? Do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe I'm the Lord of both the dead and the living? Do you believe I have the power of life? and death, and resurrection. Do you believe? Do you faith in me? That's a pointed challenge. I need to ask you that same question. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that brings us to a model confession. Look at her answer. She said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I have believed. In the, in the Greek grammar, that's, that's a perfect tense. That means it's, it's a completed action. It's settled. I have believed and I still believe, but it's it's a done deal. It's set. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. That is a model confession. I mean, that's it's perfect. It's textbook. 
I have believed. It's settled. I know. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah. That's what Andrew said back in chapter 1. We found the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God. That's what Nathaniel said back in chapter 1. I believe that you're the one who comes into the world, just like Moses the prophet said would happen, as Jesus has described himself as the sent one, the one who comes down from the Father, the one the Father has sent, the one who's come into the world. I believe this is a crescendo moment. This is like back in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked the disciples, hey, what's the scuttlebutt out there? What, what are people saying about me? Who do, who do men say that I am? Oh, people think this, people think that. Who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You know, God revealed that to you. You're the son of the living God. Same confession. Same climactic moment. Same class book confession. I have believed you're the Christ, the son of God, the one who comes into the world. That is exactly what John hopes to achieve with his readers. That's the goal of writing the Gospel of John, as we've seen so many times in chapter 20. There are a lot of things Jesus said and did that aren't written down, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. Martha got there. I mean, this is, this is what John hopes for. Martha got it. And this is what John wants for you as well. He wants you to know and believe, come to that conclusion, and put your faith in that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing, faithing in him, have life in his name. It is, it is the model confession. That's the goal. Um, listen to what Robert Muntz said about this. Martha has come to the firm belief that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the very Son of God, that he is the fulfillment of Jewish expectations. Even though Lazarus lies dead in the grave... Her confidence in who Jesus is and what he can do is not diminished even in the slightest. Sorrow fills her heart because her brother is dead, but faith reigns supreme in her confidence that with Jesus at hand, all is well. Isn't that good? Her faith reigns supreme in her confidence that with Jesus at hand, all is well. Even, even while her brother is dead in the grave, with Jesus at hand, all is it well. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world. My friend, do you believe? These things are written so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. He's the resurrection. He's the life. He died on the cross so that you might live. He gave his life so that you could have his life. He was buried and he was raised again, and one day he's going to raise you again. He will raise you again either to the resurrection of the righteous and life eternal, or he'll raise you again to judgment. But you're going to be raised again. All the dead in the tombs will hear his voice. He's the resurrection and the life. My friend, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are you saved? Do you know him? To know him, to live in him, is so much more than just saying a prayer, joining a church, getting baptized, doing something religious. No, do you know him, abide in him, live in him, walk after him, follow him? If not, if you're not sure, if you have doubts or if you have questions, I beg you, in a moment, we'll stand and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here. You come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus, or I have doubts, or I have questions, or tell me more. However you want to say it. We'd love to have a private conversation with you, pray with you if you'd like to, but you could leave here today, child of God, possessing eternal life, the Lord Jesus Christ, and participating in the resurrection, because he is 
the resurrection, and the life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for John chapter 11. Thank you for preserving for us this conversation between Jesus and Martha, because we, we can sure see ourselves in Martha. Lord, we've all been where, where she was. We, we've been disappointed. We've been frustrated. We, we believe, help our unbelief. We, we've all been there. And God, I pray that for the Christian who's walking with you, that they would know they can be honest with you and that they would be able to say with Martha, I, I believe anyway, I still believe. Even though I didn't get what I wanted or you didn't do what I thought you might do, I still believe, I still love you, I still trust you, I still follow you no matter what. That with Jesus at hand, all is well. God, I pray for the one who's never been saved and help them to see and hear and know they are lost without hope, without God in the world, but Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. He's the only Savior. He is the Son of God. Lord, I pray that you'd bring them to the cross even now. Take charge of this time of decision. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.